Welcome back. Welcome back to season one, episode five of What Shayro Thinks About It. Stuff on my mind that forms into words and then actually comes out of my mouth. I am Shayro. This week's topics will include listening skills. Merry Christmas in March. My ranking of past presidents, a little quirky thing I like to do. And of course, yes, I'm still on this topic. The nomination of Judge Katanji Brown Jackson. They accuse her of being soft, but who is really soft on crime? Wow, we are at episode five and I'm just in awe of the support received thus far and the feedback I have received. Thank you all very much and please continue to listen, like, share and subscribe. Podcasting is fun, time consuming, mainly because I am doing it all myself currently. I can't wait until I've learned and mastered this process well enough to teach it to others. It's very fun, very exciting, therapeutic. The process that takes the longest, however, is not surprising. The editing process, even before I record, when writing the episodes, I have to go back and edit and look and be like, does that even make sense? My intention was to have this thing recorded, uploaded by Thursday. I'm actually doing this on a Saturday. So you see how plan does not always go as you want it to go so i'm thinking i may just change my release date to saturdays that seems to be the norm now like i say editing is a very long process like my first two episodes were not edited i basically hit record then upload it and went from there i also had learned about this software from adobe called audition but they wanted twenty dollars a month for that when you first start out there is not a need to spend a lot of money to just start start with the basics and work your way up I do like the platform Anchor because you can record right into the Anchor software at anchor.fm. You can start your podcast there. So that's my main platform where I have the podcast. Very easy. And of course, it's free. When looking at software, I also learned about this free software called Audacity and learned that most who are starting out are using it. And it's, it's able to handle everything you need to do in editing the podcast. And also you're able to ensure that the sound is loud enough to be heard. Remember the first episode? Very low in the sound. I know. YouTube, Google have information and instructions on just about anything you want information on or want to learn. The best thing about YouTube and Google, they are free. One thing you may have to spend money on, however, is merchandise and the designs on it. Currently, I'm having this lovely lady at somethingcrafty.com. That's S-U-M-T-H-I-N-K-R-A-F-T-E-E.com. Working on t-shirts and designs for the show. From her website, you can order sublimation blanks where you can purchase blank products to create your own designs. Or for customized items and designs, call her at 1-855-CRAFTY, K-R-A-F-T-E-E. That's 1-855-572-3833. 1-855-572-3833. The same as 1-855-CRAFTY. You should give her a try for all of your customized design needs, sublimation products. She is great at making custom tumblers, shirts, masks, bags, artwork, and a whole lot more. Go to her site, somethingcrafty.com. S-U-M-T-H-I-N-K-R-A-F-T-E-E.com. Or call it 1-855-CRAFTY, 1-855-572-3833, and see what else she can whip up for you. Tell her Shayro sent you. Many of you may have noticed I have a new logo and artwork for the podcast. This is the work of the Dr. Cassandra Hawkins, the bougie professor. Her professional work, although not artwork design, 
is in the field of research at HawkinsResearchAssociates.com. HRA is what I'm going to call it because that is a mouthful. HRA offers a variety of research opportunities and services for nonprofit organizations, faculty, government, entities, and the community. Tell her Shayro sent you also. If you would like your product and or business mentioned on the show, you can reach me at ShayroSpeaks at gmail.com. Let's build our businesses together. Before we get into this week's topics, Last week, I informed you about a member of my Toastmasters Club who passed. Some of you who know me very well know that I do not do death very well, regardless if I knew the person well or not. This week, I have reflected a lot about life itself and how someone could have such a great impact on you. I have faced the passing of loved ones, people who had been in my life for years that I thought we would all grow old together, and even the death of people I was not too fond of. Still, in each case, death has impacted me greatly. I prefer not to attend funerals when someone passes, but sometimes it is just not avoidable. Kathleen Bingaman, the club member who passed, touched so many lives in and out of Toastmasters. When she spoke, you listened and laughed. She had that spark about her that just made you want to like her more and more. Her memory and legacy are well etched in all of our minds and hearts who knew her. We will miss you, Kathleen. With any evaluation, feedback, coaching, or just a conversation between friends, one of the most important things you have to do is be able to listen. Listening is more than just hearing the words that come out of someone's mouth. Listening means being able to comprehend and find the issue or problem that the person is having and coming up with a viable solution for that issue. Yes, I know there are people who state that I only want you to listen to my issue. In other words, that means hear me gripe, complain, talk about my issue, which drains the person listening, not solve my issue. That is good maybe for your girlfriends or even your boyfriend, partner, or whatever. But if you're telling me about an issue, especially more than once, and you are paying me to be your coach and you don't want a way to resolve it and move on to something better, then you are enjoying that issue and want sympathy for it or just enjoying the sound of your voice while draining all of the joy out of the person listening. Who does that? That only occurs on television. Your real life does not occur the way things do on TV. Who wants to still be complaining about the same issue now, a year from now? Better yet, two or three months from now. People want to move on and accomplish something in life. I, as the coach, am here to listen and discover those hidden pieces of information that can be used to resolve, move on, and grow from the issue. You have to be able to discover some of the things they are not saying and incorporate that into the solution. Small things said matter big time when listening. Hey, this is episode five. Episode five. I'm one third of the way if I'm going to do 15 episodes for the season. I realize you, my wonderful audience, don't really know much about me. Shayro. There is really not much about me, but just like everyone, I have a story. I was born, raised, and reared in Mississippi. You learn later in life that the correct terminology is reared, not raised. You raise cattle, you rear children. So depending upon your educational level, I was both, and I'm not a cow. My parents worked hard and raised my two brothers and I. Then the baby, a girl, came along when I was about 12. My dad did have a son prior to having the four of us with my mom. 
My dad worked for the local rural electric company. <laughs> that was an absolute badge of honor to my brothers and I that our dad worked for Central Electric Power Association. <laughs> Just Central Electric. We were the only kids that were happy for snow and ice. Not because we might get to not go to school, but because that meant daddy was going to be working overtime and that meant we would get to go to West, Western Sizzlin. My mom was a school teacher at Neshoba Central High School in the next county over, Neshoba County. We attended South Leak, the school in the county we lived in, Leak County. When my dad was promoted to work out of the office in the same county city that my mother worked in, Neshoba County, that meant we moved and I got to go to the same school my mom taught at, Neshoba Central. I had always wanted to attend there. I'm sure you have heard me say my hometown was Philadelphia, Mississippi, but let me explain that. Philadelphia is in Neshoba County. We lived for several years on the edge or corner of Lee County, the square county of Mississippi. It is actually in the shape of a square. So when you look it up on Google, you're going to see right there in the dead center of Mississippi, Leak County. Down in that little bottom corner to the right, that's where I grew up at. Our address, because we lived so close to the county line of Leak and Neshoba, was a Philadelphia address. Our mailing address was Route 9, Box, Box 215, Philadelphia, Mississippi. That means we were deep in the country. The mailman would enter our community from one edge of the county and come down the road beside our house, then cut through our community, Zion, Mississippi. You can now find it on the map because Google has mapped everywhere. So if you look up Zion, Mississippi on Google, you'll basically see where I grew up at. I think it starts at the edge of these two roads, if you look that up. He would go to the road in front of our house to get back into Neshoba County. So somehow the Postal Service, they made our address Philadelphia, Mississippi. I know weird, but trust me, it worked. Our church and most of the members lived in Neshoba County. Thus, when I am asked where I'm from, I say Philadelphia because, well, my address said Philadelphia. Philadelphia, Mississippi, Neshoba County is the actual location where the movie Mississippi Burning actually occurred. They changed the name of the city and county in the movie because a lot of people living in Neshoba County did not want the truth exposed about the city and the county. I went to school with the grandchildren of several of the people portrayed in quotation marks portrayed in the movie. I think for legal reasons, I am supposed to say based off of some possible fictitious events that may or may not have happened during the 60s in or around Philadelphia, Mississippi. People are always afraid of the truth. No one wants to listen to the truth. To be such Bible believers, I guess some people miss that verse about the truth setting you free. Growing up, I was a middle child until my sister came along and shoot. Even after that, I was still a middle child. Middle child syndrome is real, very real. I was a very quiet and shy child who spent most of my time by myself and watching TV. We had a farm where we grew just about everything we wanted to eat and all of the stuff I could not be forced to eat. Statement about me. I did not, I do not, and I will not eat collard greens, turnip greens, mustard greens, black eyed peas, rutabagas, or butter beans. My parents would um, discipline me when I would not eat them. They did not believe in wasting food, but trust me, 
what I did not eat or want to eat. My two brothers were were not going to let that go to waste. The thing about brothers, they they will try to protect you in some situations. Then they are the ones that got you in trouble in the first place. Several times they would plead with my parents to let them have my portion of vegetables that I did not want to eat and assured them that the food would not be wasted. My parents have never bargained with us and I still got punished even when my brothers offered their services. My dad and I laugh about those times now and I still would not eat those. Oh, my dad, his birthday is next week. He turns 78 years old. Wow, what a blessing. <laughs> he is excited. Growing up, we had a few fields and a very large yard that had to be cut twice a week, especially on Saturday. Mama cooked full breakfasts on Saturday and Sunday. Saturday morning started with my brothers and I getting up early to watch our cartoons. Whatever chores we had to do were always allowed to take place after the cartoon. My dad had this unwritten rule that the grass had to be cut on Saturday so that the lawn would look nice on Sunday. Our lawn was so big that it took two hours to cut with the riding mower. We also had to wash both vehicles as well as pick the peas, pick everything in the garden and the cornfield and there was a watermelon patch. There was no way my dad was going to allow the grass to be cut on Sunday. Oh no, you do not work on Sunday, not in the household, not in the Wells household. You do not work on Sunday unless something came up. Like if my dad got called in for like electric going out of somewhere, he had to go and work on Sunday sometime. The only way to get out of cutting the grass was it had to be raining hard on that Saturday. Because if it rained on Friday and dried out by Saturday, we were cutting grass on Saturday. Sundays were special for us too. We had to be up to go to Sunday school because my dad was the superintendent of the Sunday school. We were the family that were at church before church started and we were there way after church ended. There's a horrible joke that people used to say like, they say like, oh, my mother had a drug problem. I'm like, look, my mother, my dad, and my grandparents, aunts, uncles, they all had a drug problem. Their drug problem was whenever church was going on, Myself, my brothers, and even when my sister came, we were drugged to church. <laughs> my mom was the church clerk and on the finance committee. And my dad and us boys had the duty of doing light cleaning of the church after service and ensured all the doors were locked. I'm the only 12-year-old who had his own set of keys to the church. To unlock the church. That's how deep embedded we were to our church thankful for those embedments now that we were given that <laughs> it's funny now when we finally did get on the spell of mama's pot roast that had been simmering in the slow cooker made the wait worth it then after we all had rested we packed the car and we go visit um, my mom's sister and her husband and uncle and my cousins first cousins <laughs> they still live in the community where my mom grew up we also got a chance to visit my granny down there and a few other relatives Growing up in the country was awesome. Then we moved to the city limits of Philadelphia. See, I'm actually from Philadelphia. And I got to go to Neshoba Central, home of the mighty Rockets. This allowed me to be in the band and made a whole new slate of friends. 
true friends, still friends with a lot of my Shovel Central friends to this day. I was so glad to leave South Leap because I got bullied a lot there. People who I had known since kindergarten or Head Start, whatever they called it then, were also some of the people who picked on me and made fun of me because I was different. I call it shy. When I arrived in the Shovel Center, I already knew a lot of the people because of my church friends and the people I had met through them. South Leak and the Shovel Center were as different as black and white, literally. South Leak was a more than majority black school. <laughs> there were very few white kids that went to South Leak. The Shovel Central was a majority white school with several rich white kids and a few well-to-do black kids. This was probably the only school where being, well, I take it back, Philadelphia High School across the way, which had the city kids. But this was the only school where being in the band was cool. I believe it was very cool in Philadelphia because I know a lot of the popular people went to Philly also were in the band. Plus, I started out playing drums, bass drum, number three. So I was part of the somewhat cool crew. I played it most of the first year there. Then I figured I couldn't play as well. Then I went to cymbals and I gave my drum to one of my friends. Big mistake, big mistake, big mistake. Even the band director told me, big mistake. You shouldn't have gave your drum to anyone. But I did enjoy playing it. I just, at that point, I thought it was something I couldn't. There was this one little piece of music we played. I could not get that beat right. <laughs> now I could, I could still play that song in my head now. And I get that beat right every time. The guys I knew from church that went to the Shovel Center, they played football. They always protected me if anyone messed with me. I absolutely love being in the Shovel Center and I love not getting picked on for a full two days. Of course, no matter where you go, kids will be kids and we'll find someone to pick on. So I was found and I was picked on some, but it was still not as bad as it was at South Lee. After graduation from the Shovel Center, I went to Jackson State University, home of the sonic boom. Of the South. I wanted to major in political science pre-law, but the advisor of the Honors College, yes, somehow I got into Honors College, and my mother thought that I should major in history pre-law and that I should not be in the boom, that's the great wonderful band, Sonic Boom, because I made it in by the real skin, thin skin of my teeth. Dr. Harvey, the Honors College Dean, said I need to be studying and that boom practices way too much for him to study right. The boom was the main reason I wanted to go to Jackson State. And my older brother had started there four years prior. I listened to both of them and majored in history for the first semester. I did not join the boom, but my freshman year roommate and his friend were members of the Sonic Boom. Eventually, I changed my major to political science and dreamed of being a lawyer, maybe. Then the year of 1992 began. I was almost classified as a sophomore or maybe a junior somewhere, working a 40 hour a week job as a swing manager at McDonald's. I had moved off campus into a house with some of my best friends. We are all still friends to this day. Then my mom's cancer came back and this time it was really aggressive. She fought hard. Cancer does not fight fair. And on August 27th, 1992, the cancer dealt its blow. Some little smart Alec person is going to say, oh, she won the battle against cancer. I do not. I, I'm not trying to be political. Right? Look, my, my mother died August 27, 1992. I don't like trying to dress things up. My mother didn't even like 
doing things like that. She would tell you, look, tell people I died. Don't say I defeated counsel because if that was the case, she'd still be here today. You get heartfelt about this because I don't like when people try to change up stuff and make it sound nice and good. I, I don't like my mother died August 27, 1992 from breast cancer. Cancer dealt its blow. There's a lot I could say about losing my mother while I was basically still a child myself. That may be a different episode. After dropping out of school for a semester a little bit, I did get re-enrolled. And after starting school nearly five and a half, maybe six years later, I marched across that stage with a degree in hand. There's a lot more to my story, my phrase, using your situation as motivation that comes out of this. We're going to reserve that for later. Just know that because I had to face my mother's death, that is the reason I currently do not deal with death very well. I never know what to say to people. You know, people come and say, how are you doing? How do you think they're doing? Someone just died. I think that's the worst question you can say to someone. When I faced it myself, I did not know what I wanted people to say to me. I know I didn't want them to ask me, how are you doing? Look, we're, th we're about to be 30 years later and I'm still not doing well. Whoever said, oh, it gets better with time. They lied. And all these people that say, oh, I'm doing better. You're lying. Or either that person didn't mean a lot to you. No, I'm not better. But sometimes it's okay not to be okay. Last year, that auntie I said we used to go visit, her battle with cancer came to an end. Amazing, huh? Sometimes I really don't want people to say anything. And my boys in college, they didn't have the words, but they had the actions. They all kept me surrounded with love and looked out for me. Sometimes between friends, the unspoken words are the best words. Now that you know a little more about me, let's hit this week's topics. <laughs> Stuff that is on my mind while feeding the hungry. Yes, <laughs> while I'm out there feeding the hungry. Formed into words and is now coming out of my mouth. I think we'll talk a little bit more about listening skills next week. I want to talk a little bit more about that because that's a listening is a big thing with me because I notice a lot of people don't listen. You know, parents tell kids, you just don't listen. That's true. Kids don't listen. First topic I'm going to next. Well, the next time I'm going to talk about, you know, this really did come to me while feeding the hungry. It's near the end of March. And while out feeding, I noticed that there are several <laughs> residences that still have Christmas lights up and turned on each and every night. Look, I was out last night feeding the hungry and I delivering this one complex and I noticed every time they have Christmas lights and I'm saying different holidays may have different lights because you may have blue lights which mean one thing when we lived in Jackson Mississippi our neighbors they would have orange lights up for Halloween they put red lights up for Valentine's Day and I, I, I swear they had some black lights out there too I guess that was for Black History Month but these are multicolored lights I remember when we were kids we used to go to the Metro Center Mall in Jackson they would have like the, the clear lights in the mall in the middle of June. And I was like, how did they get Christmas lights in the middle of June? It never dawned on me that maybe they saved them from when they had them at Christmas. I was a little kid. I didn't know <laughs> much, but I'm out feeding the hungry. And these people, they are physically turning these lights on every night and turning them off during the day. It's March. It's almost April. And they still have Christmas lights before I fuss too much about this, now I did learn when I used to deliver pizzas and first saw this, um, the manager of the store, he told me like some families who may have a member who is serving in the military and may not be able to come home for Christmas, 
but that member is able to get some leave maybe in March or April, they will leave their lights and decorations up until that family member comes home. That's a way of ensuring that they come home and they celebrate the holidays then. Interject here. You know, with the war going on in Ukraine, let's all keep them in mind, everyone in Ukraine with this war. I understand when that's the reason. But if not, I'm like, wow, wow. <laughs> One place I delivered to had the actual Christmas tree still up. To see one or two houses with lights still on, that's one thing. But lately, I've been seeing several. And some of these, I think they actually put the lights back up because, you know, when you deliver, you basically deliver in the same neighborhoods mostly. So I'm like, I don't remember those lights being up. And now they are. So they went and actually added lights after Christmas. I don't know why, but it's just... You look at the lights. I saw one place. They still had like Merry Christmas decorations and snowmen and snow canes. This place didn't actually have the lights on. I'm like, so I was wondering, are they going to just leave all those blow up things out in the yard all year long? And then when the day after Thanksgiving, plug them in because they're just still out there in the yard. But they didn't have them turned on. So I'm just totally perplexed when I still see Christmas lights out there here in March. I'm going to revisit this in like, say, June or July and let you know if some of these people still have their Christmas lights up. So y'all keep reminding me <laughs> that's something. There's some people that I know do not have a family member in the military, but just in love with their Christmas decoration. And I know during the pandemic, they suggested back in June, July of 2020 for people to put their Christmas lights up to kind of bring some joy to us and do some things. Some people did that. Some people I'm just like. Christmas lights, you still have them. If you have them up all year long, then that means you kind of take the joy out of the lights during Christmas. It's kind of like that McRib sandwich. They only bring it back every so often, so that way you're longing for it and it makes you like it better. If they had it there all year, you probably wouldn't like it as much, even though I don't like it as much now because they changed it. <sighs> to each their own, to each their own. Disclaimer here for me. I tell people Merry Christmas in months that are nowhere near Christmas. I'll say it now to someone like when I'm picking up, I'm like, Merry Christmas. I'm saying, my biggest fear is that someone with a ski mask on is going to rob a place and they're going to say Merry Christmas during the robbery. While it is hot outside in the middle of July, the store person is going to tell the cops. I know it was a little funny looking delivery driver who always says Merry Christmas to us when he leaves. I say that just to see if people are really listening. When someone says bye or have a good day, I will have to discuss more and more on listening skills next podcast. Other thing on my mind, this is this is quirky. So just follow me when I when I say this. So recently, former President Obama announced he had COVID and then former Secretary of State and Democratic nominee for president Hillary Clinton announced that she had COVID also. My well wishes go out to both of them. This COVID thing is real, and I do not believe it is over with yet. Everyone wants to end the mandates and start getting back together again. I am just not ready. Here's a funny thing I used to do with presidents, how to rank them when I was in high school. I did it in college, too. When I think of former presidents, I like to rank them in my own little way. I like to rank in order which one was the smartest or had the most intelligence. These choices are my own little quirky ways. This is not based on their popularity or unpopularity while in office or because of 
what they did or did not do while in office. It has no bearing on how good or how bad they were as president. Just my rankings. I am going to start my list with the number one choice. I know normally when a list like this is made, they start from the bottom, work their way to the top. This is my list, my show, Shayro's thoughts. <laughs> so I will do it the way I want to. Also, please note this is regardless of party affiliation. Don't get all in the wad. Oh, you this, that. There's nothing to do that. Technically, I don't even like or believe in this two-party system we have. I wish we did not have people loyal to a party, but elected officials who are loyal to the people they represent. That might be another <laughs> podcast episode, too. My thoughts on politics. Yes, the former political science major. What does he think about politics this day and time? The joy of. Number one, in terms of smartest to not so smart. You can't say dumb anymore, dumbest. So for politically correct reasons, which I don't like to do or say, you know, I like to be straight up, but I'm not calling anyone dumb. I'm just ranking as to who I think are the smartest or the most intelligent former presidents. Just follow me here. Okay. Number one choice as smartest president. And I'm only naming the names of the ones that I can remember were in office. I'm not going to name all 45, 46 presidents. Here we go. Smartest was, I don't have a drum roll, but Jimmy Carter. Yes, Jimmy, the peanut farmer who also went to the Naval Academy, which means he was pretty smart. He was a genius as, person, as a person, but when he was president, a lot of things happened which caused him not to be popular enough to win a second term. My second smartest former president is George H. Bush, the elder. He was a genius also. George H. Bush had everyone using dictionaries more when he was president. When he gave a speech, we had to look up most of the words he used. We're going to be prudent. Uh, we can't be. We have to be exuberant and not be prudent or we'll be exuberant. What's his name? Dana Carvey he used to do a wonderful impression of him. But yes, he used a lot of big words on us. Um, we're still trying to figure out exactly what was 1,000 points of light. Next is really a tie because I think both of these guys are very smart. It's a tie between Barack Obama and Bill Clinton. Very smart, astute guys. Both of them are very well read. They, they've read several books, written books. They read a lot of intelligence information. They read a lot. They're very astute in the field of law. Both of those, Both of them were former lawyers. And they were very good at what they did. They are the best at explaining things to us and breaking it down for us all to understand. The number four spot. Since there was a tie with two for number two, or number three rather, for number three, the number four spot goes to the Gipper himself, Ronald Reagan. This is just where he landed because he definitely is not the least smartest and I don't consider him the smartest. His trickle down effects. So he lands right there because after him would be Bush Jr. George W. Bush claims himself that he was an average or C student and I was just fine with that. Hey, I was an average or C student. <laughs> I was just fine with that too. <laughs> w seems like the kind of guy that you would want to hang out and have a beer if I drink alcohol. 
I believe that leaves only one. Well, I'm not including our current commander in chief, but he is not the least smartest either. If I were to rank him, I probably would put him before Reagan or make another tie. Thus, that leaves the Donald himself as being the least smart former president. If you call the secretary of state of a state and ask them to find you votes and you made the call yourself instead of having someone else to do it, plausible deniability, not a very smart choice. As a matter of fact, regardless of whoever is the next 10 presidents, they will be higher on my list than Donald J. Trump. While we're ranking president, let's rank first ladies too. I like them. <laughs> Most recently, I have been ranking first ladies too. I said this is a quirky thing in my mind, but sometimes when there's nothing else to think about while feeding the hungry, hey, I think of quirky things. Number one is Michelle Obama being a former attorney at a prestigious law firm and being well-versed in several subjects. She just knocks the ball out of the park every time. I thought second place was going to be a tie also, but I think Hillary Clinton nudges just a tad bit ahead of my third place contender, which is Laura Bush. Hillary was a high profile lawyer and she was just as well-read and slick as her husband. Laura Bush was a former librarian. An educator. Next is the lovely Nancy Reagan. The Just Say No program was a great idea in concept. And had a lot of kids in the 80s hopeful hopeful for their future. But then crack it, and it was downhill from there. I think she changed the position of first lady, and we saw her doing her own things and was a very visible first lady. In fifth is Barbara Bush. Everyone just loved her and her bubbly personality. As I think about it, Barbara Bush, I loved her. I loved her. One of my aunties, she actually wanted to vote for Bush because she loved Barbara Bush. She loved her being first lady. I know I may have to relook at that. Her and Nancy Reagan could be ties, in my opinion, probably so. Uh, we love Barbara Bush more than we loved her husband. <laughs> I placed Rosalind Carter in fifth place because I just really don't remember what her platform was or if she had one. She was a great lady, but those that came after her were just of a different cut. I don't remember seeing her doing things on her own. A lot of remember I was a very small child at that time, which is why I say her successor changed up the game. This leaves, of course, oh, Melania Trump. And just like her husband, the next 10 first ladies will be higher ranked than she is. Someone's going, you're bashing them. I'm just stating my opinion. That does not change your opinion of them, whatever. Get over it. Move on. As with the current president, I did not include him. So I'm not really including the current first lady, Dr. Jill Biden. But if I ranked her, she would be probably right after Hillary Clinton. She is a very smart lady. That's a college professor and just a very likable lady. If needed, will serve as the Secret Service to protect the president if someone were to jump on stage and come towards him like she did a few times on the campaign trail. If you saw that, it's that is just absolutely amazing. The person comes on stage. He's coming towards Joe Biden. Dr. Jill Biden places herself between that person and the then candidate or former vice president, Joe Biden. That shows you some loyalty. 
And speaking of Joe Biden, I had no idea who Joe Biden was when Barack Obama chose him as his running mate. I thought Obama was going to choose Hillary Clinton. Seriously, I think he still would have won. <laughs> then I learned that Biden was the one who gave Anita Hill such a hard time during the Clarence Thomas confirmation hearings. The media was also informing us that Biden was the dean of foreign affairs. I, even though I had been a political science major and watched the public berating of Anita Hill, I did not remember him or his name, per se. When he was chosen as a running mate and I saw his name, I mispronounced his name. Yes, people mispronounce my name. Fast forward some 30 years later and President Biden has nominated the first black woman to serve on the U.S. Supreme Court. Does this make up for the way Anita Hill was treated? That I do not know. It is my belief that the two have moved on to other things. He did offer some type of wilted olive branch while campaigning for president. It was suggested in the unknown verse that he should have nominated Anita Hill for the post to really make up, but he didn't. And he has nominated Judge Katanji Brown Jack. I think she did a wilted acceptance <laughs> of the wilted olive branch. But again, that's that's something different. Judge Katanji Brown Jackson, who is very qualified for the position. Yes, I am just ecstatic over her nomination. With all of, of her qualifications and a lifetime dedicated to serving this country in her capacity as a federal public defender, law clerk to a Supreme Court justice, judge, and probably other titles and accolades I can't name, she is now being attacked because of the sentencing she handed down on a very small fraction of cases dealing with child pornography. People on the right are calling her soft on crime because she did not impose a 50-year sentence on a teenager caught up in the middle of possession of child pornography. Lindsey Graham, Senator Lindsey Graham, just cut her off and was like, was passionate about this sentencing and said, yes, I want to see them locked up for 50 years. The information they don't tell you is that the defendant in this case was a teenager. So his solution to everything is just lock them up. Judge Brown actually listened to the case presented before her and took action. Lindsey Graham's like, he didn't want to try to get help him or maybe help for this teenager to have a productive life. And before anyone thinks about saying anything, yes, I think child pornography is a horrible crime. It's a shame you have to do all these disclaimers with stuff because people in their minds, they want to take one word of what you said and run it off somewhere else. Yeah, that's a pet peeve of mine. It's a horrible crime. And the people who make it and distribute should be locked away from society for a very long periods of time, if not forever. People who are engaged in watching this or addicted to this, they need help. There's, put, I'm not sure putting them in jail is the solution or getting help. And I know some addiction, they say, is not a way to solve it. There's something to do something with something. Locking someone away for 50 years for watching child porn, I don't know. I'm not sure if that's the actual solution. So one thing that we we need to get them off that addiction because if they don't have the addiction, the people out there trying to produce and distribute it don't have one to distribute it to. And if you lock up the people who are producing it, distributing, making it, lock them away forever, you won't have it. And you just sometimes to get rid of the uh, issue, you got to look at the root cause. These people are looking at it because someone produced it and made it. If it was not there available, they wouldn't be able to obtain it. That's, Something you have to look at. Something you have to look at. Something you have to look at. 
Okay. So, okay. So she sentenced the person use, using federal guidelines, recommendation by prosecution. Sometimes she may have went on her own because a judge, there's no law, rule, or policy that a judge has to follow the recommendation by the prosecutor. They do have to follow, like, maybe federal guidelines. If it's a guideline, that just gives you, um, uh, gives you, what's the word I'm looking for? I remember it in college's return. That just gives you a guidance on what to do. Now, unless it's a mandate, it's a law that mandates that if you do this crime, you are mandated to serve this amount of time in jail. So guidelines, mandates, things you have to look at. They are allowed to use their own discretion, and they also are able to take into all the different circumstances. So just everybody arrested for child porn is not the same situation. Sometimes we need better solutions. Sometimes we need judges that listen more. Something I've heard Judge Brown say is everyone in her court, defendants, prosecutors, get an opportunity to be listened to. Because in this country, you're innocent until proven guilty. And sometimes the circumstances may not uh, may not need a 50-year sentence. She did sentence him. She did her job. So they keep coming up to her for doing her job. She sentenced the person, again, like I said, using federal guidelines, recommendations by the prosecution, and according to the facts in the case. The same as several other judges appointed by Trump and voted on by Senator Graham, Senator Ted Cruz, and Senator Josh Hawley. They had did this in several cases that were tried before them. They did, they did the exact same thing that Judge Jackson did. <laughs> but they're all on this about her. You notice they can only come out to her for actually doing her job. They want to say she is soft on crime because of eight cases out of the more than 100 cases tried before, before her dealing with child pornography. For this, she is called out to be soft on crime. However, let's note, she did actually sentence them. She did her job. However, when high crimes were committed against this country, these senators sat back and did not show the same passion they show for child pornography nor did they show love for this country by being less than soft on doing their jobs to hold those accountable for their actions. Also, to when a nominee set before them who was accused of sexual misconduct when he was in college, you did nothing and gave them a pat on the back. At least Judge Jackson did take some action and did her job. She did sentence them, and she did not just let them go all free and nilly. I must commend Judge Jackson in the way she held her composure and did not just start naming off the wrong they did, like I just did, <laughs> while pointing fingers at her. Had I been in the hot seat she is in, I would have been start calling them out on their softness. Yeah, I'm not shy anymore. I am, but I know how to deal with it now. I understand because it's, it's all a game. It's politics is all a game. And you have to play the game and you have to deal your set of cards and everything. So I, I do understand they have to grandstand and make themselves look good for the party, for their constituents, so they can run for president. You, know, you might see some of these names running for president soon. Several other Republicans and the Republican Party, by the way, 
has advised that this path they are taking is not advised. The entire confirmation hearing is to see if Judge Jackson will break. I can tell by the way she is looking out one side of her glasses that she wants to break character and tell them a few things. But she has not. I would have by now. She is showing the true strength of a black woman. She's answering some unnecessary questions about her judicial philosophy the same way previous nominees have answered without acknowledging that they have a judicial philosophy. Legal experts have even stated there's not a really a true judicial philosophy. You follow the law, the Constitution. However, maybe they want her to show a ghetto or thuggish side. Tucker Carlson, we mentioned him a few episodes back, has made the statement that when a black woman is nominated, they should answer the question like a rapper. I really don't even have words for this. If we went back to that smartest list, whatever, he's not even president, but I think he falls below Trump. I will say this or ask this question. Why is it surprising that black people can speak well? Or as Tucker Carlson said, she sounds like someone from my neighborhood. So your neighborhood shouldn't have black people in it that speak well? Yeah, I'm listening to what you are saying. They said the same thing when Barack Obama was running for president. It was stated several times. We have never heard a black man speak so elegantly. I am from very rural Philadelphia, Mississippi, and I had heard several black men and women speak very elegantly way before I heard President Obama speak. And while I was living in very rural Philadelphia, Mississippi, why not just admit that you believe every black person to live the hip hop lifestyle you see displayed on television? That is not even the real way black people live either. That is entertainment to sell records and obviously grab your attention. I, I am just I'm still just thinking about that statement. A black person is nominated. They should answer questions like I don't even not putting down on rappers. Most rappers, they speak a different language and say things differently and whatever. That's interesting. I can't wait to Judge Jackson is confirmed to the United States Supreme Court. It is just awesome to witness this. I think it should have happened years ago. Woman should have been sitting on the Supreme Court and this should not be the last black woman to sit on the Supreme Court. Well, my time here is done. That is all that is on my mind for now. Thanks to each of you for tuning into this week's episode. Thank you for allowing me to serve you. Please listen, like, share, and subscribe to my podcast here at anchor.fm slash C-H-E-T-R-O. And I can now be heard on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Radio Public, Stitcher, Pocket Cast as well. Remember to give me a five-star rating if they ask for rating or give comments and feedback, please. I, I like to hear all of it. Tell your friends, tell your enemies about what Shayro thinks about it. If you want to reach me, I am on Facebook at Shayro Speaks, Instagram at C-H-E-T-R-O underscore L-L-C, Shayro L-L-C, Twitter at Shayro. Again, trying to be active on Twitter more. I haven't even checked my Twitter feed. <laughs> Or you can email me at shayrospeaks at gmail.com. I am also on Clubhouse as at D-A-C-H-E-T-R-O, the Shayro. I do have a room, Shayro Speaks, on Clubhouse, and we'll be utilizing this platform soon. We will release a new podcast every week. It looks like Saturday is going to be my release days now instead of Thursday. Somewhere between Thursday and Saturday. I hate to be that, that inconsistent, but as I master this thing, we're going to get that locked down. 
you can leave a voice message for me too. Uh, build a voicemail link on the podcast website. If you'd like to support this platform, please click the support button or you can send me something directly at Shavro. I'm at sign C-H-E-T-R-O. Again, you should know how to spell and pronounce Shavro now. Thanks for joining in. Oh, to become a better leader, communicator, and speaker, learn more at toastmasters.org. Until next time, I am Shavro, and this has been What Shavro Thinks About It.